Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. Hello to everyone joining us in, in our HeartStrong program. So glad that you guys join us again for this morning's study. We are going to look at Genesis 3. Um, and I have to say, I think it's probably one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Uh, because it's where we are first introduced to the idea that God will send a Savior to save all of us from all the sin in the world. But it's also the place where we learn regarding the first sin of mankind, Adam and Eve. Now, we have so many examples in this, in this chapter that we can relate to for our own personal lives, but also where we recognize Jesus in Genesis 3. I'm going to give you a few examples. There are many. In Genesis 3, uh, we start off when it says, So when the woman first saw that the food was good to eat, um, it is the first example of temptation in Genesis that we find. And we see as Eve surrendered to the temptation. In the example, uh, the way John describes it in 1 John 2 verse 16, it says the following, First she gave into the lust of the flesh, saw that it was good for food, and then she gave into the lust of the eyes, pleasant to the eyes, and then she gave into the pride of life, desirable to make one wise. So, so we see that Eve was tempted in the same way that most of us are tempted today. But then we also recognize that Jesus, when he was on earth as a man, was tempted also in the same threefold way. An appeal to the physical appetites when he was tempted in the desert for 40 days. Satan came to him and said, if you are hungry, turn the stone into to bread. Appeal to, to the covetousness and emotional desire. We said, um, if you stand on the top of this building and if you jump down, call on your angels and they will surely save you. And then an appeal to pride. If you bow down to me and worship me, I will make you the ruler of all things. So we see Jesus concurring with our temptations. It says then further on, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I, I love this. Uh, the Hebrew word that's used here for walking is the word chulak. Um, it means to, to, to walk like hand in hand, like you are strolling with a loved one. Now we can assume that this person of God is actually the person of Jesus Christ appearing to Adam and Eve before his incarnation um, and birth in Bethlehem. Because the Bible tells us about God the Father. It says, no one has seen God at any time. So we know Jesus wants to walk with us daily. Love that, that, that we read that in this passage. But the question Jesus asked when he was there, he asked the following question. He said, where are you, Adam? Where are you? And it's also a question God asks, us, asks of us today. And the question was meant to arouse Adam's sense of being lost. 
The question of where are you was meant to lead Adam to confess his sins. The question was meant to express God's sorrows over man's lost condition. Adam, where are you? And the question was meant to show that God seeks after the lost man. The question was meant to express the accountability of, of man that he had before God. So God's question, even today, demands an answer. Where are you at in your relationship with him? Now, they couldn't refuse to answer God at that time. They couldn't refuse the way a criminal might be able to keep silence in a court. The way God came to Adam and Eve is a model also of how he comes to the lost and fallen. Those of us that have made mistakes and then might be fallen in our, our humanity ever since. God came to them patiently. Adam, where are you? It says he came in the cool of the day. God came walking, like he's strolling with a loved one. In the cool of the day, they said that was either early in the morning or in the evening at sunset. So it wasn't in the midst of darkness, of panic. God came to them patiently, waiting for the cool of the day, the evening time. God came to them with care, coming before darkness of night. God came to them personally, addressing Adam and Eve directly. God came to them with truth, showing them their lost condition. God came to them with truth, showing them their lost condition. But, but then in verse 19, uh, we read further on where now God speaks about the curse of what happened because of sin. And I want to say again, the examples I'm showing you is I want to show you how relevant Jesus is throughout the Bible. And how much we see of him in Genesis 3. In verse 19, it's about the curse of mankind after he sinned. And it says the following, it says, Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The curse of death shows that the result of Adam's sin extended to the entire human race. Because of Adam, sin entered into the world. Because of the first Adam. And, and we read that in Romans 5.12. Sin entered into the world. Because of Adam, death came to all mankind. That's Romans 5 verse 15. Because of Adam, death reigned over man and creation. That's Romans 5.17. All men were condemned. Romans 5.18. And because of man, all men were made sinners. Romans 5.19. See, the principle of Galatians 3.13 is established as we consider that Jesus bore each aspect of the curse upon Adam and Eve in its totality. Jesus took the full weight of the curse on himself. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Sin brought pain to childbirth, and no one knew more than Jesus did about pain because of the suffering that was upon him in Hebrews 2.10. Sin brought conflict and Jesus endured the greatest conflict to bring our salvation. Hebrews 12.3. Thorns and thistles, uh, we read about the curse, about how Adam was going to work in the field. There's going to be thorns and thistles. Came with sin and the fall. Jesus was crowned with thorns to bring our salvation. 
Sin brought sweat. And Jesus sweat, as it were, great drops of blood to win our salvation. Sin brought sorrow. And Jesus became a man of sorrows. Accounted and knowing what grief is to save us. Sin brought death. And Jesus tasted death for everyone that we might be saved. Hebrews 2 verse 9. Now, I want us to explore the context of this whole passage. And for that, um, what I want us to do is we are going to read the whole chapter together. The fall of man. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it also. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, 
The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden the cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, this is the first part of, of the scripture that I want us to look at. It says, so when the woman saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. It says she also gave to her husband and he ate. So when the woman saw we spoke about how Eve surrendered to temptation. First, she gave into the lust of the flesh. Then she gave into the lust of the eyes. And then she gave into pride of life itself. It says she took of the fruit and ate. Now, this is something that I want all of us to understand when we go through this chapter. Satan could tempt Eve. Yes, in the same way he could tempt you. But she didn't have to take it. The taking was all her doing. Satan couldn't cram the fruit down her throat in the same way he can't force you to fall for any temptation. Eve was responsible. She couldn't, write, she, she couldn't rightly say to God when God asked Eve, what have you done? She couldn't say the devil made me do it because that was not the truth. As with every temptation, and I want you to hear me, God has made a way for us to escape every temptation. It says so in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God has made a way for Eve to escape the temptation. And in the same way, God has made a way for me and for you so we can escape temptation. She could have simply run from Satan and the tree, but Eve didn't take God's way of escape. It says after they sinned, they sewed fig leaves together. Sewed fig leaves together. Now, now sewing fig leaves together, this was their own attempt to try and cover themselves. And it took some ingenuity because they thought that we can make clothes out of leaves. But it did not take much wisdom. And it's a little bit funny, I think. Because if you know fig leaves... They have something of like a prickly quality to them, which would make for some very pretty itchy coverings. Now, every attempt of ours to cover our nakedness before God, I want you to know it's just foolishness. Trying to cover up our mistakes and our failures before God, God sees through all our cover-ups. All we need to do and what Adam and Eve had to realize is we just need to let Jesus cover us. Allow Jesus to be your covering. He covers all your sins and all your failures. Revelations 3, 5 and verse 18 tells us that we have to put Jesus himself on as our covering garment. Then it goes on. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So Adam and Eve, um, they knew that when they heard the Lord coming, 
It wasn't a fearful experience that they've had before this day. When God would come into the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day to walk with them, their experience in the past was that it was something pleasant, something they desired. They were walking with God as, as if they were walking with a loved one. This is how the Lord had fellowship with Adam and Eve in a very natural, close and intimate way. But Adam and his wife hid themselves because they sinned. And this shows that Adam and Eve knew that they attempt to cover themselves up with the fig leaves. They knew it failed. They didn't proudly show off their fig leaf outfits when God came. They knew their own coverings was completely inadequate. And they were embarrassed before God. I heard your voice in the garden, they said, and we were afraid. Sin made Adam afraid of God's presence and afraid of God's voice. And ever since then, most men that don't know God are scared of God's presence in their lives. I want you to know, we are made in the image of God. So we want to be in the presence of God. And we should desire to hear His voice. While at the same time, I know many of us are afraid of Him. But we know that Jesus paid for all our sins and all our failures and all our mistakes. So our relationship with God can be restored. God asked the question. He said to them the following. Who told you that you were naked? So God knew the answer to this question. I want you to know. God didn't ask because He didn't know. He asked it because He allowed Adam to make the best of a bad situation. He wanted to give Adam the, the opportunity of repenting right there and then. But Adam didn't come clean and repent before God. Now, we all sin. But when we sin, we can still give glory to God by openly confessing our shifting. Instead of shifting blame to, to Eve or to situations or circumstances, simply by confessing our mistakes. Have you eaten, ever eaten from a tree which I can manage you that you shall not eat from? Is a question, and that tree for us, the significance is, have we done things that God has instructed us that we should not do? See, God confronted Adam's problem squarely, straight on. Adam, did you eat from the tree? The question wasn't primarily a wardrobe problem or a fear problem or a self-esteem problem. This was a sin problem. And and. Adam's uh, wardrobe fear or self-understanding did not address the sin problem. The only way we can address the sin problem is by repenting and saying, God, I'm sorry for my, my mistakes and my failures. Will you forgive me? It says, and then the man said, notice that at this point, God has not addressed Eve at all. Adam being the head of the home is the problem here. But Adam said, the woman that you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So Adam's attempt was to blame Eve. And it's completely consistent with human nature today. Very few of us are willing to simply say as David did, I have sinned against you, Lord, please forgive me. But he said it was the woman you gave me. And then God said to the woman, woman, what is it, what is this that you have done? 
The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, we have Adam shifting blame. We have Eve shifting blame. And now God gets to the consequence of the sin. The curse of sin and the aftermath. This is verse 14 and 15. And it starts off by God's curse upon the serpent. See, when God spoke to Adam and to Eve, he questioned each of them about what has happened. But I want you to notice in Genesis 3 is that God didn't ask Satan any questions because there was nothing to teach him. Nothing that the enemy could say that would be new to God. The Lord God did not ask the serpent anything for he knew that he was a liar. But he at once pronounced the sentence upon the serpent. He said to him, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust. And this is so revealing evil for even for, for evil in our day. Beings and people that are engaged in evil design. I want you to see how they work and how they still function today. It's as if they have no other way of going about doing the evil. They use tricks, devices, they conceal, double meaning, and it's still the same as the enemy. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust. See, when men deny the scriptures and the truth of God, they always go to work in an underhand, a mean, and almost like in a serpentine style. Upon their bellies shalt thou go. If guilty man begins to plot for his own advantage and for his own schemes, for his life, for his own glory, what happens is they try to prevent the truth. And you will notice that he never takes bold steps. A guilty man never stands up boldly, openly, manly. But he dodges, he conceals, he twists, he shifts. And it's amazing how God pronounced that over the enemy. And this is also how we can identify, even in today's world, how the evil one works. Now, he says, enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So the second part of the curse is directed against Satan himself. God placed a natural animosity between Satan and mankind. He said, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And in that statement, and this is what's so amazing about Genesis, like Genesis to Revelation to the New Testament, 4,000 years later, in that statement, God prophesies the doom of Satan, showing that the real battle is between Satan and the seed of woman. And there is no doubt this is a prophecy of Jesus ultimately defeating the enemy. God announced that Satan's, um, he, that, that he would wound the Messiah. And, and we, we saw that at the crucifixion. You shall bruise his heel. We saw that. But the Messiah would crush Satan with a mortal wound. He shall bruise his head. It was as, as if God could not wait to announce his plan of salvation for all of us. To bring deliverance through the one who's known as the seed of woman. God's curse upon the woman was something different. To the woman, he said, 
Your sorrow and your conception, it will be in pain. You shall bring forth children. So the first curse upon woman is a broad one. It has the idea that women will experience pain in regards to child labor and childbearing, childbirth. God ordained that pain with which women would bring children into the world be an example of the pain they will experience more generally in life. It has been observed that women bring forth children with more pain than just any other creature on the face of the earth. And then the second part of the curse, which is something so interesting, which I don't know many people understand what God was saying here. And I think there's many misunderstandings regarding what God is saying here. He's saying the second part of the curse, your desire shall be for your husband. And some people go, how is that a curse? And then they read the second part and they say, oh, I get it. And he shall rule over you. I want us to understand this. Everybody, all the ladies listening, please hear me. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The, the idea is to contrast the woman's desire and the husband's rule over her. God is contrasting her desires and the husband's rule. This speaks of an inherent challenge in the embracing of the husband's role as the leader of the home and the family. There is a challenge in every home for the husband to be the leader. I want you to understand how vital this curse is. It says in Genesis 4, the word for the desire for the husband, it's the same word used in Genesis 4, where God speaks about Cain. It says, of the desire of sin to master over Cain. Now that desire of sin to master over Cain because of the curse, Eve, Eve you, you're going to have to fight a desire to master your husband. A desire that works against God's ordained order for the home. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. This is not saying that the man is more important than the wife. This is not saying that, the, that we are not equal in the way we were created. But this speaks regarding God's order for the home. And a part of the curse that God speaks over the wife, the woman in this situation is, is that she will have a desire to take over her husband's role. Now I do want to tell you, we've been delivered from that curse. So... As a result of the fall of man, man no longer rules easily. He must fight for headship. Men, you are to be the leader in your home. Not forcefully, but the way Jesus leads the church. By giving of yourself sacrificially. You are to lead in your home. So sin. Sin has corrupted both willing submission of the wife and also loving headship of the husband. The woman's desire is to control her husband, to usurp her divinely appointed headship. And he must master her if he can. And that is wrong. So, so, so the rule of love founded in paradise is replaced by struggle, tyranny, domination. God's curse upon the man is the next part which I want us to look at. Then to Adam he said, because... You have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground 
So, so the curse on man is because of Adam, there is a curse upon all of creation. Because of the curse of man, the ground only produces good. It still produces good. Before the curse, the ground only produced good. But after the curse, it's still producing good. But there is thorns and thistles, which will come up faster and easier than good fruit. Now he says, in toil shall you eat. Adam, Adam, you're going to have to work really hard to produce the same amount of fruit and food than what you produced before. So there's going to be a lot of hard work for the men. And, and I think many of us can relate to that. The next part of this is, and this was something completely new to Adam. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now this is the final curse upon man promised here. And, and I think this was an absolute shocker to Adam. Adam, you are going to die. Death was introduced. Never before has Adam seen it. Death was introduced. But we know that Jesus has conquered death. And we know that he's given us victory over it. And we will live for all eternity with him again. Now it continues on and it says, And Adam called his, his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living things. Eve. Now up to Genesis 3.20, the woman has never been called Eve. We are so used to say Adam and Eve that we assume she already had her name. But up to this point, she was called female. In Genesis 1.27, we, we read that. She was called a helper, comparable she was called a woman, a wife, Genesis 2.22. But also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics out of skin and clothes for them. The Lord God made tunics and God wanted Adam and Eve. He didn't want them to be naked. It's not that nudity in itself is, is um, wrong. But if nudity represents a higher and freer way of life, then God would have let Adam and Eve remain naked. But he clothed them. A tunic of skin. Um, in order for Adam and Eve to be clothed, a sacrifice had to be made. An animal had to die. Because in order for Adam and Eve not to pay with their own lives, there had to be shedding of blood. And God used the skin of the animal that shed blood on their behalf, and he made clothes for them. Now I want to ask you, how do we apply this this um, chapter to our lives there is so much incredible wisdom in this whole chapter about how we can just come to God and say sorry when we make mistakes we can know that God's given us a role in the home and way and which we can learn from the curse specifically because before the curse it was right after the curse it was wrong so we can learn regarding how we can apply our roles within our home just from genesis 3. we can learn how to deal with temptation by trusting that god is close to us and that he will always give us a way out now i want us to pray together so, so let's close our eyes and let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for all your wisdom and your insight about life and purpose and how we can live life and how to deal with temptation. But also, Father, teach us about the curse that was upon man 
or that is upon man because of sin. We know, Jesus, that you have overcome the curse and that we are living free from it. And I pray that, that we will look at the areas in our own lives which is still under the curse and that we will bring change to those areas to be realigned with the way you intended it. We thank you for your faithfulness and for your grace and for your goodness. Amen. Now, to all of you, trust Jesus. Take a trust step with Jesus today. Jesus, I come to you with my struggles, I come to you with my temptations. I know you want me to walk with you every day. Jesus, I will guard my heart not to be tempted, but when I am, I know that your spirit is with me to guide me through it and to take the appropriate steps. Trust God in the most difficult situations and believe and know that his ways will cause you to live a life that is free from the curse of sin. I hope you enjoyed Genesis 3 as much as I did. So much insight in this, in this chapter. And keep studying, keep going after God. Love you guys, and I hope to see you soon again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the Heartstrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.